Hello and welcome to the second podcast from London Gallery Weekend. I'm Jan Daly and I'll be talking to a range of art world figures. The first London Gallery Weekend took place in June with an amazing 140 galleries taking part across the capital, from the grandest Mayfair establishments to the smallest outlying spaces. How did it all work and how did gallerists feel about it and what does it mean for London? We'll find out from some of those who experienced it and we'll be looking to the future. And the all-important issue of climate change and what galleries and artists are planning. Sculptor Anthony Gormley will be here to talk about his concerns and the measures he's taking. Finally, I'll be talking to David Zwerner, one of the world's leading gallerists, about the future of the gallery model itself. Hannah Barry is one of the leading young gallerists on the South London scene, indeed the whole of the London scene, and she was an important mover in the setting up of London Gallery Weekend. So we'll be talking about how she experienced it, what happened, what she did, the feedback and much else with writer and curator Andrea Emmerlife, who can tell us some more about what it meant for London in general. We're meeting in the Hannah Barry Gallery in Peckham. Hannah, hello. Hi. Thank you for having us in your beautiful gallery. Pleasure. Tell us what you did, um, what you put on in way of programming and what you showed and generally what you decided to make of London Gallery Weekend last June. Yeah, um, I thought it was an amazing, wonderful and joyful initiative, actually, um, to have this um, unification in one way or another of so many people and interests and activities in the city. Uh, We opened an exhibition of uh, German artist Christopher Hartmann uh, for the gallery weekend. And on the Saturday, um, which was the day on which the focus was on South London. Um, Christopher um, was here pretty much all day and we, rather than doing something formal, we just did informal sort of tours all day long with him looking in detail at all the paintings. So it was really nice to have the, the time and also that visitors gave the time to spend time with the pictures and, uh, and with the artist. And so that's what we did here and then uh, we'd also just opened Bold Tendencies, our not-for-profit project across the road in the top floors of the car park. And so we were able, throughout the afternoon, um, my colleagues, um, we organised tours of the six new sculpture commissions over there. So it was a two-pronged set of activities. And um, I think people were pleased to get out um, and get something out of it. Did, did the fact of the um, London Gallery Weekend bring people here who hadn't been before? Yes, um, there was, I think, a lot of the uh, museums and um, galleries organised um, tours for their various kind of, you know, supporters groups and curators and so on. So I would say certainly it, it brought a lot of new audiences to, to, the, to, to both both enterprises, yeah. 
Well, that's exactly what it's meant to do, isn't it? Andrea, how did it feel from your point of view? I mean, you are an, you're definitely an art world insider, but you are also, because you're an independent curator, you're, a, you're a, 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 an, in some ways an independent observer as well. Um, so yes, I thought it was an incredible sort of experience. I did one of the guides actually for the gallery weekend and it's quite interesting because I did a highlight route of um, the galleries and the exhibitions that I would have done. So starting, I think I started in Mayfair and then ended East, which is quite um, quite a thing, but it was quite exciting to see a few people DM me saying they're taking that route and like people were posting pictures, but not just my route, but Nicholas Cullinan's route and Alex Patalis's route. And so seeing all these people sort of being interested, not only in going to galleries, but following a curated route almost, it was very interesting to curate an experience, as well as obviously sort of extending my practice as a curator, but also to see people, as we were saying before, that wouldn't usually go into the gallery or into a museum or go into these spaces. I saw quite a few people with shopping bags and with kids, which kind of made me think that they were people that were maybe shopping around Oxford Street and then would sort of tumble into a gallery. And I think these type of things are important because it's about opening up um, spaces, trying to figure out how we can make these spaces seem less intimidating, but also letting people know that these commercial gallery spaces can be amazing places to see art and to see the new generation and the new cutting edge and to interact with artworks in a less prohibitive way because it's not the museum costs, there's not sort of, I guess, um, the pressure of thinking that you have to engage in the way that museums have because we sort of engage with museums as a child is usually a place of learning but I guess it's almost a different way of activating um, art being in that space because you, you can get much closer you can you can talk to the gallerist or the artist in some cases um, it's very first hand and I so it was great to see people really embrace that. So it's good to be able to also show people that you know, it's not, not, as you say, it's not just going to the galleries, it's sort of being aware that, you know, if you look up, there's a wonderful work by Lawrence Wiener mm. on the side of the South London Gallery, or did you realise that Will Allsop's library at the bottom of Rye Lane uh, won the Sterling Prize in 2001, and that sort of stuff. So it was, it was or that, you know, Anthony Gormley designed the bollards yeah. on Bellenden Road. Stuff like that, you know, it's 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 fun as as much as it's also learning and yeah, it just shows everyone that art is literally all around us, like in the galleries yeah. outside. Um, as I said, it was great weather, and so there was a great sort of energy and excitement to just go and see and explore and be curious. Yeah, and just be in the city, mm. in a, in a, with its. I genuinely think it had a kind of it generated a, a kind of new energy. Yeah. You know, and of course, like there is a very specific and particular context for that, given the, the, the world situation at that particular point. Mm. But um, anything that's you know anything that's truly generative, you genuinely you genuinely feel that. And I think everybody was united in feeling that on those particular dates. It did wonderfully link the different parts of London together as well, didn't it? Because that's something which is so, um, I mean, it's so big and so takes such ages to get around this city that Mayfair can, can seem like a different universe from 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 Peckham or from from Hackney or whatever. There's also, of course, um, the Gallery Climate Coalition, yeah. very important. Yeah. Um, 
get-together of galleries about thinking about the future and um, rather urgent concerns, difficult concerns, Mm -hmm. but that's an amazing thing that also came out of um, pandemic and the different sorts of groupings. Um, I mean, it seemed to me that during that time, there was a new mood of of collaboration and um, collegiateness, which hadn't necessarily been there before. After all, it is a famously competitive world and um, do, do, you, do you feel that there's a kind of knock-on effect, in other words that the, the spirit, as it were of London Gallery Weekend continues? I think coming out of the pandemic um, the mood for collaboration and sort of collective thinking is something um, that has been sort of I guess one of the positive points um, seeing the galleries come together in a way that I haven't seen before I think was quite interesting, sort of collaborating uh, for a same sort of uh, shared cause. Um, I think that's kind of the way forward. I mean, I can't speak from a gallery's point of view, but I think from an art scene point of view, and I guess from people into space's point of view, um, it's one of the best ways because, I mean, I, it would seem obvious to me that the more people that engage with art means that there will be a commercial benefit because you're creating art lovers, you could be art collectors. Um, but just from an enjoyment point of view, having people engage with the works on the wall, given that you've, the curators have gone through all the effort of creating um, these great exhibitions or hands or displays, will always be a good thing. But in general, I think that the spirit in the art world, whether I'm being wildly optimistic or not, is shifting to collaboration, whether it's thinking um, about how we can democratise um, the arts or how we can decolonise the arts or how we can look inwardly to better the art world or um, the way that we see art. I think there is a lot of different conversations that are bringing people to think collaboratively and together, which is always going to be better. Yeah, I mean, learning new thinking and solution finding and ultimately any form of progress depends on, you know, openness and generosity. And I, I think that, you know, initiatives like this and, you know, the Climate Coalition and many others, some of which touch many people and others of which touch different groups with different interests, you know, these are all really good things because ultimately they are all pursuing forms of progress and that's got to be a good thing. Well, that's a lovely note on which to end. Thank you both so much. It's been great to talk to you and I think everybody is going to be eagerly looking forward to the next London Gallery Weekend. <laughs> 2022 in May and um, I bet you'll both be <laughs> leading lights. Anthony Gormley's studio is tucked away on a small street in King's Cross in an extraordinary building that he commissioned and was designed for him by architect David Chipperfield. We're talking to each other in an upstairs studio, which is Anthony's drawing studio. Well, hello, Anthony. So I'm sitting here in your fantastic London studio, which is a magnificent space, um, full of activity and making and creating. And I think you have something like 27 staff here. You make um, enormous works and very, very ambitious projects that go all over the world. So 
obviously you've been very concerned about environment, your carbon footprint, and what a gallery, and in particular, though, an individual artist can do in these circumstances. So tell us to start off with a little bit about how your thinking has evolved around this issue. It's really maybe the most important single challenge, I think, to, to our species, but also to anybody who wants to live, I think, a sustainable and creative life. I have to believe that the work that I do is capable of changing minds and engaging with the way people feel in a significant way. And I've made works, you know, that directly, yeah, directly engage with issues of climate change. And I mean, particularly, I think, all the fields, one in Hong Kong at M+, the Asian field, the largest of it, 190,000 uh, small sculptures, which was made out of 130 tonnes of yeah, clay that had to be fired. Um, but I justify making that and making another place, which is 100 works each weighing 630 uh, kilos of iron, a concentrated earth material. One, you know, the field is made out of clay that lies at the surface. Iron is made from ore that is dug from below the surface. And both of them represent, in a way, the earth or embody a concern about the earth. But both ask, what kind of future are we making? Um, the belief that art can change um, hearts and minds is the thing that continues to drive me but I'm also very aware of the carbon footprint of the studio as a whole. So you could, you could say, well, why don't you just give up using these highly carbon-heavy uh, materials? Well, I think the answer for me is that I, I, I want to make the Earth, in a, in a, in a sense, conscious, conscious of its own condition. And I can't think, I mean, I'm, I'm experimenting with wood, I'm making work in other materials. But again, clay is a very high, I mean, I've been working in clay for maybe four or five years now. Um, but that also requires, yeah, firing and therefore uh, also has a heavy footprint. So how do I respond to this? in a way, inherent paradox that I want my work to be about now, about the fact that, you know, we're in the middle of the cyber age, you know, the fourth great, in, in a way, change, industrial revolution, now followed by the digital revolution, uh, but at the same time be aware of and responsive to the sixth mass extinction, uh, our responsibility for the biosphere. My, my answer to my personal responsibility is to make sure that when I do use iron, I smelt it from 
recycled materials. So we essentially 90% of our castings are all made from old old disc brakes. Um, I then make sure that the the energy that we use to smelt that iron is sustainably produced. So it, it comes from green sources, either wind or, or solar. And I've tried very hard to encourage uh, both the studio and all our colleagues in galleries uh, to make sure that the work is transported by land and sea and not by air. In, in looking at this last phase of my, my kind of creative life, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned to make more and more work that is permanent, that actually um, comes out of a response to a particular place and maybe a particular community. And, I mean, I say permanent, nothing is really permanent, but that actually uh, yeah, contributes to the life of a place and doesn't well, fall into the trap that most of the art of our time falls into, which is that it becomes always contextualized in, in the form of an exhibition, which is a temporary display, a temporary spectacle. And that denies sculpture's extraordinary ability to make places, to be, as it were, a point of reference in the evolution of life. You've mentioned um, the weight and scope of your work, and because you are stunningly successful and in demand all over the world your work does as you say travel um you've actually proclaimed your commitment to this cause enough to send a, a, a sort of mission statement out to all the galleries that you work with recently um saying that we're setting out your policy and well just know about transport i just said yeah please please make sure uh, well please inform us prior uh, that you are sending all of the work by, by sea or by, by land. And uh, uh, from this point onwards, I don't want work sent by air. And you're even wanting the galleries to impose that on their clients and collectors? Yes, I've, I've made it clear that I, I don't want the work to be consigned to um, a collector uh, by, by air. So they have to wait. We will track consignments and and uh, yeah transport documents to make sure that uh, these well these requests are honoured. Well, this is a very very strong statement. Do you know of other colleagues, artists who are doing the same sort of thing? Do you? No idea. I think you know all of the all of the ur moments, the base moments of sculpture for me are to do with somehow these gestures of taking maybe a stone that already exists and standing it up so that it is a marker in space and then becomes a mean against which biological life measures itself. It becomes about a dialogue with, with the environment. I mean, the, I, I think of the sanding stone um, as this sort of yeah, primal gesture that allows a work of our species to be a witness to the life of our species and all life. And it's intri intriguing to me that it is the early farmer. So if you look at the alignments of, of Karnak, 
or, or Stonehenge or the Ring of Brogner, you know, or the Stones of Stennis. They, they are all this imaginative idea that we can interpret and work with the landscape in order to make its topography have a conversation with space at large and with the fixed stars and, and, and in a way, the constellations of, of the firmament. And that's such a powerful idea that I, I, I just still feel that that's, that's what I, in committing myself to sculpture as my art form, that that is something that I you know, wish to continue, if you like. Um, can I ask you, as your awareness of this particular issue has grown, how has it changed your practice and your, as it were, your kind of, not your imaginative scope, I really mean the, the, well, really, I suppose, the sorts of work that you most would like to make. How has that altered? In relation now to um, the exhibitions that we might make, I'm very keen to see whether or not we can't make exhibitions on the same basis um, that I was describing. So you would go somewhere and just uh, say, well... Uh, we can make breadline. All I need is a loaf of bread, and and I don't even have to, as it were, bite it myself. I can get, as in the show that I've got on currently in Schauwerk. It's a very simple work made of everyday materials that can be found anywhere in the world, and yet it invites us to look again at our immediate surroundings and the materials on which life is sustained uh, in a new way. You know, the bread for breadline was bought locally. The clothes um, I could I could send um, you know by 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 post and and yet those two works occupy probably about a quarter of the total space. Uh, six of the works in the show are already owned by the the, the collection that the, the yeah the retrospective is being held by. Um, anyway, I think in in terms of making exhibitions, I'm very, very keen to make another field for Africa, which is the one continent that has presently not got a field, um, and make it and show it in Africa and hopefully allow it to stay mm. in Africa. Um, and increasingly I'm looking also at ways of working with local stone quarries and local... Uh, masons um, to make works that are so uh, that are uh, as it were um, not not just produced locally but also come from materials that have their origins locally it could be you know that, that this is me you know, following in the footsteps of Richard long um, who you know has always as it were, found this minimal displacement metric uh, as the basis of his work. And I think it's very, you know, you could say that his, his example of a light footprint um, 
you know, is extremely relevant and quite inspiring for, for the 21st century and COP26. Um, given that we're talking in the context of the gallery's Climate Coalition, which is a wonderful um, initiative, and you've given, um, you've very generously um, donated a work um, to be auctioned for their support through Client Earth. Um, do you think, this is a slightly wide-ranging question perhaps, but I'm sure galleries will be asking themselves this, from all your experience, do you feel that this will change the way that galleries work and the way that artists and galleries relate to each other? It's really early days. I, I'm absolutely delighted by the, by the initiative. Uh, the the um, the need for collegiate and collective action on this front is uh, is you know absolutely essential and I'm I mean maybe I'm, maybe maybe it's it's unrealistic um, but but I would like to feel that. Uh, cooperation and creativity rather than profit might um, be the, the 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 real change in other words how 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 can we be as effective as we possibly can in bringing you know, new new visions of i suppose the f the the future possibility of art itself uh, uh, most effectively, and maybe that means that the the, the profit the profit um, motive has to come into a more sustainable uh, balance with <laughs> with with something with something <laughs> with something you know that is less about the culture industry, less with uh, less about in a way the promotion of things, and more. About its effectiveness. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, um, knowing that the work has value beyond its market value, and that these things uh, are why we, why art is made, um, that it can move people and actually be an agent of both self-determination and change. Well, that's um, a wonderful note on which to end. Thank you okay. so much. We could talk about this for a long, long time because there's so much to say. But thank you, Anthony, very much for um, your time and your wisdom and your um, inspiring um, initiatives, which I think will send a huge message and everything you do does send a very powerful message. So, um, thank you. David Swerner, one of the world's most important international gallerists, is talking to me online from his office in New York. David, hello and welcome. It's very, very nice to see you and talk to you. I'd love to start by asking you just something about your perception of the current gallery scene. How, 
how it is, how it's changed, how it's been for you. This has been a very tough couple of years, but it's seen lots of innovation, and you're among those who've innovated. That's a, a first of all, thanks for the nice opening remarks. Appreciate that. Uh, and what you asked me is a really big question, so <laughs> cut me off when I'm starting to drone, right? Because there's a lot to say here. Uh, let me start at the end. I think the gallery world is in a really good place right now, right? I, and I would say that's really surprising. If you would have asked me this 18 months ago, I would have been full of doom and gloom. And I most likely would have told you that I imagined, or I did imagine at that time, that we would lose about a third of our colleagues to, you know, the impact of this pandemic. It's been totally amazing to see that through kind of the worst of all uh, kind of circumstances, what could be worse than all galleries being closed and all art fairs being shut, that we nonetheless found our audience, that our audience stayed with us. And I say we, because that certainly holds true for the larger galleries, but also very much so, maybe even more so for the smaller galleries who mostly th survived and sometimes even thrived, right? So that's a bit of a miracle uh, on one end, and on the other hand, a testimony to the very power uh, of, of our business model, namely bringing visual culture to, uh, to people all around the world now. It's a global um, pursuit. And uh, the need for visual culture in, in these times, there was certainly a need before, but I felt there was plenty of need during these difficult times. So, but now as we're coming we're not coming out of the pandemic quite yet, but we're coming back uh, into a world that has less travel restrictions. And we're seeing here in New York, we're seeing uh, Europeans for the first time as of last week. It's just really, really great to be back in the spaces and see people enjoy what we, what we put up. Well, you did a very remarkable thing at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you hosted um, younger or smaller galleries on your own website, on your platform. And you did this, I think, for 12 galleries each in something like five or six cities, which was a very, very um, uh, collegiate and philanthropic um, thing to do towards your, towards your colleagues. And I think it made a huge difference. So let's talk for a minute about the effect of this uh, really this digital explosion because what you're talking about really the, the survival of galleries during this awful time when they had to be closed meant that um, you all had to embrace at least a partly digital model and it meant also that your your collectors and your clients and your and your your customers also had to accustom themselves to this rather different way of, of of viewing and, and, and purchasing art. So, so tell me how, what, how that was, your experience of that. So let me give you two answers here. First of all, what I didn't fully realize, but realized quickly, and I'm sure it would be second by most other, other gallery owners, if you speak to them, is that even before the pandemic, probably 50% of all transactions were mostly electronic, meaning we would send out a, an email, a preview, an, an offer uh, with, a, with a PDF, with an image attached, and there's a good chance that your transaction would take place without the client actually seeing the work, right? So I would say that was already hitting a 50-50 mark, right? And of course, you don't quite think of it 
Yeah, you don't really think of it like this because it's just the way how we how we were doing business, especially the previews became such a driver as we went into art fairs or we get ready for opening for the for the openings of shows. So we were already in that world, in that electronic world, uh, but of course it was still a person to person, a very directed outreach, right? Now my wife, I cite her a lot, <laughs> has a incredible fashion business uh, here in New York called MZ Wallace, and she sells, I would say, 90% of her product online. So I've been living with a person that uh, has mastered um, the art of, 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 of e-commerce. And of course, you know, many, many, many times I've thought about what is our industry doing? What can we do? And there, um, you know, I was a lucky because I went onto that journey in 2017, a couple of years before the pandemic, and we started thinking in earnest how we can create a digital gallery, right? Digital channels for our artists. And of course, that makes sense a, from a commercial point of view, because why not open another channel? But even more importantly, you know, the, obviously there are no borders in the digital world, right? And our job as galleries is to um, create larger new audiences for our artists and and you know what could be better than use the digital domain to do that, right? So there's two things, try to sell art, but also get the message out, right? And then needless to say, when in early 2020, um, the traditional art world stopped and everything went online, we actually had an infrastructure, right? We could actually communicate very easily with all the people that we knew. And um, at that point, I realized that a lot of other galleries didn't have that opportunity. Not only uh, was it good for the galleries, it was also really good for my gallery because um, it really motivated the staff. The staff was really down uh, in the midst of the pandemic and it gave them something to, to work towards and be excited about. So it was a great experience. This is a, a remarkable thing really in the gallery world, I think, because um, that kind of uh, collaborative um, work is, is very, you know, it's very special. and probably only comes about at certain moments. Um, so having got this wonderful um, and highly successful digital model, there's then the parallel, the, the real life stuff, which we all love. So were you surprised, not only that so many galleries not only survived, but also expanded, during this difficult time, but and you yourself have opened um, more spaces during this time. So at the same time, the other the other side, the real life side, was also booming. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly a great moment for real estate. You know, real estate was um, in distress during the pandemic. And if one had the wherewithal to take advantage of that, you know, that would be a great moment. And I think a lot of my colleagues, including myself, did. And there's all this beautiful expansion that we're witnessing right now. Um, but, you know, more importantly, of course, what none of us forgot while we were locked out of our galleries and while we were online mostly is that we are doing this for the artists. And our artists want to put physical artworks in phys physical space. And we are judged by the quality of our physical spaces and how good their artwork looks in those spaces, right? So that's really, that's the core, that's the most important part. 
and then the um, the digital channel lives shoulder to shoulder with that, and can you know help us uh, do more, get the message out, but it can never substitute the physical experience of seeing an exhibition or just a work in space. And um, the different areas of the world in which you're now operating, so you have Hong Kong, you have Paris, you have a smaller, an, a newer, uh, yet another space in New York. Um, are you seeing a very different response in the different uh, locations or... Um, you're finding that on the whole, um, the whole international art world moves as one? No, they are all have their own microcosms for sure. Um, let's start with London. London, of course, went through such a difficult time with Brexit. Uh, and there was a lot of worry that it would impact the art world uh, adversely. Uh, I have to tell you, we have not seen any of that, right? We've seen a really vibrant art world in London, really kind of wonderful during the lockdown too. Uh, once we came back online in physical space, uh, we of course had to, uh, we had to count our visitors because we had to make sure that we're wearing masks and we're, we're doing the right thing. And it was really, really wonderful how many people were back in the gallery really quickly. Uh, Jump forward to Freeze just a couple of weeks ago. This is the first time I was in London in two years. And, and it was just um, really a remarkable experience. It was, I, I would say, it seems like Britain is a little ahead, uh, meaning they sort of feel more at ease <laughs> with uh, this moment, this late stage of this pandemic. And um, we had the best time, you know, it was really, really great to see a really vibrant London-based art world that reminded me of the good old days and certainly was also very successful, right? Uh, let me go through the other locations. Uh, Paris um, was locked down more than once. It you know, was locked down and locked down again, just like London. And um, we had a similar kind of experience. We had an enormous amount of visitors in the gallery the moment we started showing art again. So that need for visual culture in these European capitals is alive and well. There's no question about that. Um, New York, New York is is interesting. Um, there's there was definitely it was definitely very very quiet in the depths of the pandemic when we were sometimes allowed to open. Right, visitors. I mean, I would say we probably had ten percent or twenty percent we would normally see. A lot of um, people have had fled the city and <laughs> went you know, to other places and it really impacted the way we were operating our galleries to the point where I decided not to show living artists for a while. I felt, you know, showing an estate is fine because that work has been probably seen before, but showing work by a young artist uh, in, in an environment where very few people will see it is probably not such a good uh, idea. So that worked and, and um, you know, probably proved like a, a good strategy. And then lastly, Hong Kong, um, almost the toughest, you know, the restrictions are st still in full place. I have not been back to Hong Kong in over two years now. Uh, if I were to go, I would have to sit in a hotel room for a couple of weeks, uh, quarantine. And uh, what is absolutely amazing is that that really has an impact business over there. Business has actually grown in China and Asia during the pandemic. 
A lot of Asian clients thought, oh, this is great. I actually have maybe better access to things as things are slowing down. Let me try to get the thing that I couldn't get. Uh, and it's just, we actually just finished an art fair in Shanghai last week. It is a wonderful, growing, vibrant market that we have to all take very seriously. Well, that's that's really great to hear. And um, I, I, think, I think we all miss and, and all feel... I mean, I feel really sort of upset about the idea that we just can't go to Hong Kong at the moment, even if even if we weren't going to. It just feels feels wrong that um, such an important part of the world is 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 temporarily, I hope, just closed off. Um, tell us about your new New York space because there you've set up something which is rather a different model. Is it is it a slight variation of your normal business model? Do I understand? I I would say it's it's quite different, quite dramatically different. So this is something that I would imagine would probably not have happened without the pandemic and the headspace that the, pandem- the pandemic allowed us, right? To, you know, we weren't on the plane every five minutes, we weren't attending art fairs, we weren't opening shows, we could actually could sit back and think a little bit. And um, it all starts with Ebony Haynes, uh, a colleague who came, uh, who I got to know early 2020, before the pandemic asked her to join the gallery. The pandemic slowed us down a little bit, but she joined later that summer. And then eventually, rather than just joining the the sales team and the the team of directors, came to me with the idea of a a gallery that is part of the ecosystem of Zwerna, but also independent. And uh, I thought about that a while and while it was confusing to me at the beginning, how can that work? I realized, oh my God, that's exactly what the publishing houses and the uh, the music labels do. They have imprints. They have a umbrella and then they have a different type uh, of, of, of intellectual structure uh, that runs a different type of aesthetic potentially or a different type of point of view. And once I sort of wrapped my head around that, I thought it was a fantastic idea. And I really gave Ebony um, the... The, um, the keys to, to her little castle. And uh, she's running the, the, the program there independently. It will be different, uh, primarily um, because we will not represent artists. It really be running be run much more like a non-for, not like a non-for-profit, like a Kunsthalle, because it is a for-profit space. But the idea is that you have longer shows, <clears throat> you have a more in-depth conversation around the work, hopefully programming that, uh, um, you know, lives side by side and, um, and, and kind of can slow, you can slow, slow things down a little bit uh, and um, thus create a different and reach a different audience. Well, I think it's a fascinating idea. I love, I love, the, I love the word slow because I think that um, there's something about speed and um, well, there's something about the speed of the art world that, that we've all come to learn during these last couple of years, I think. We've all sort of thought maybe we were going too fast or maybe we were uh, in danger of going too fast in, in some areas. Do you think that this model will be something of a way forward for other many other galleries or do you think it's rather particular to yours? You know... Um... I hope so. In an interesting way, um, this this idea of an imprint, meaning that somebody else has really good ideas, but maybe not the capital to bring these ideas to market, uh, should catch on. 
Uh, I think it's a really, really interesting way of working. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, of course, it's somewhat of an experiment, uh, like all things new, but I'm really excited about it. And, and um, you know, I hope it, it will catch on. Oh, well, it sounds fantastic. Um, just looking now to the future a little bit. Um, I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball, so nobody will hold you to, to your predictions. But and everything has been so unexpected for the last couple of years; it's almost hard to make a prediction. But what do you what do you think the future might hold in the next year or so? Do you see the um, Do you see the gallery scene and the and the art world in general continuing on this sort of mini boom that we've been seeing, or do you think it'll slow down? Yes, I think the boom will go on for for longer. How much longer? Of course, I don't know. You know that is unclear. But you know, of course, the boom. We are, the, you know, the gallery world is all, always a function of macroeconomics, and an enormous amount of money was printed and wealth was produced during the pandemic, and some of it makes it into the art world. And uh, you know, I, that's that's not ending anytime soon. And usually, you don't know what will end it. Something will end it, but we'll all be surprised. Um, what uh, I think we'll, we're looking at a healthy year ahead for the for the art world. Um, you know, the expansion that we've seen in Asia is reaching into all parts of the ecosystem: smaller galleries, bigger galleries, certainly auction houses. Um, and a lot of collectors that kept their hands in their pockets during 2020, especially the American collectors, are coming back in and they want to know what's what's going on. They want to get back into the game and are buying art. So all of that bodes well for the near future. Um, so many disruptions are possible, as we all know, and the art world is very fickle if a disruption comes, and we've seen them, 2008, September 11th, early day, days of the pandemic, you know, the, the music stops very quickly. So my advice is always to don't live beyond your means. If you're a younger gallerist, make sure you got a bit of cushion if something goes wrong. But right now is is uh, is also it's also true to say um, you know make hay while the make hay while the sun shines. It is, uh, is shining onto the art world right now, and a lot of things can be done. I'm just so delighted to have talk to you thank you thank you for your time and your wisdom and your experience and and uh well your very very um upbeat message i think that many people listening in will be delighted to hear it so thank you david very much indeed thank you so much thanks for this nice conversation Well, I've hugely enjoyed talking to all our guests today and I hope you've enjoyed listening to them. This was the second podcast from London Gallery Weekend. The weekend itself will take place in 2022 from the 15th to the 17th of May. And as you've heard, it's open to all. There is massive information to be had. The new edition will include bigger and better and more events, more galleries probably, and there will be much to enjoy for everybody. And to find out more, visit the London Gallery Weekend website or follow us on social media at London Gallery Weekend.
This podcast is a co-production between London Gallery Weekend and In Talks With, and the music is written and produced by Harun Mirza, licensed by Outputs 2021. Until next time, I'm Jan Daly. See you in the galleries. Thank you.